Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is author and illustrator Kazuhiro Kibuishi. In 2009, Scholastic announced a two-book deal for a graphic novel series created by a 27-year-old Kazu. It was called Amulet. Among other topics, we talk about the path that led him to becoming a graphic novelist, and why that deal from Scholastic wasn't something to celebrate. We discuss the near-death experience that caused Kazu his memory and mobility, and what Harry Potter has to do with it. We chat about inking with pencil, and a special co-host asks Kazu about the future of Amulet. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Uh, I was raised to believe that uh, for Italians, uh, Friday the 13th was actually good luck. Oh, really? Yeah, I never bothered to look it up or, or whatever. Yeah, but. I don't. Um, I think I think in Asian culture, it's four. I believe number four is the unlucky number. Okay. Uh, it's. I don't think it's necessarily a Japanese thing. I think it's a Chinese um, superstition. Okay. I just remember uh, I worked at a building that was uh, 444, I think, uh, mm-hmm. was the number on the address. And uh, uh, this is one of the um, the company company's partners. It was an architecture firm. One of the company's uh, partners, um, potential partners for design, uh, she didn't want to move into the building because it was a 444. Huh. Uh, so so the, <laughs> it, it negated this like big business partnership. Oh, my God. <laughs> Because of the superstition, and I remember thinking, "Wow, must be really bad." Yeah. All so, right. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, you were you were born in Tokyo, uh, Japan, and do you remember moving to the United States? You were what three, four? Oh, hey, we're starting. I didn't even realize. Yeah, I thought we were just chatting. This is good. <laughs> no, this is good. It's super casual. Um, totally, very casual. So yeah, so I was, I was, um, I was uh, three. Yeah. When I came to the United States. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you remember it? I remember a little bit, very little. You know, there's one one really strong memory. It's one that makes my mom cry, because uh, you know, my my parents, uh, my my real father, my my mom, you mm-hmm. know, had pretty messy messy divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember when I was really small, uh, I told my mom, I remember this lady who would come visit me in a blue car. And I thought she was so nice. Who was that lady? And my mom was crying because <laughs> she told me it was her. And it was because um, she, was, she wasn't really allowed to see me mm. when I was young. I mm-hmm. think my real father was trying to keep her or her, her, his family was trying to keep her away from me. This is in Japan? This is in Japan, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so I was being taken care of by apparently like three or four nannies or something or a couple, couple of nannies. Okay. Um, you know, my, my real father's side, they're, they're very, very wealthy, um, uh, big business, uh, mm-hmm. you know, long held corporate standing, you know, just like they, they, they're a multinational corporation mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and my mom is a New Yorker. Uh, so she was kind of looked at as a, you know, just, uh, uh, like a city girl that didn't understand things and understand, you know, the way that the world works. And right. so, um, you know, so uh, my, I, I think my, my, 
my real dad and my mom, they were very different people. She said that they were, they, they, you know, got along really well at, right out of college, you know, got married very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then he, she said that he changed once uh, he went back to, uh, back home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then she felt that the, the, uh, that her, her, his family was, um, kind of deciding to run things. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. we made an escape. Yeah. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I too had, uh, parents who had a very messy divorce, but I wasn't three or your oh, age. Yeah. I was, uh, 17, something like that. Oh, okay. So you yeah. got to see all of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was pretty bad. Um, yeah. Where did you uh, escape to? What what town did you move to? <laughs> no, I don't know about escaping. Is, is that, if that's the right word? <laughs> All right, where did you settle in? Um, yeah, so my mom. Uh, well, my mom, she came to the United States, back to the United States. She grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, my great my grandpa was born in New York City, and my great grandpa started um, this store. That's I think the oldest Japanese grocery store still standing in the U.S. And he opened it in 1907. Wow. Um, in New York city. Mm-hmm. So she came to, uh, join her little brother, my uncle, mm-hmm. who was, um, uh, I, th- I think he didn't pass the entrance exams, <laughs> uh, to get into the to school of his choice in Japan. So it was one of those second chance opportunities to come mm-hmm. to the United States. I think he wanted to be a pilot or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, however, she did, she was a very good student. So she, she did pass uh, exams and she got into, um, the, or the, the university that my family had been going to for generations. And that was Keio university. Mm-hmm. And Keio is kind of like uh, Harvard mm-hmm. in Japan. And, uh, so after, after college, after, after the marriage, after the kids and all that, all the divorce stuff, my mom, uh, decided to just kind of hit, hit the refresh button and came here. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and then my grandparents came too and along with us. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, the two, my brother and me, mm-hmm. uh, my grandparents and my mom. What, what, where did you live? We lived, uh, we started in Rancho Palos Verdes in near Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So we were in the LA area. Um, my grandma started a restaurant in Gardena, uh, and, uh, that's where I started drawing mm-hmm. was at the, was at the restaurant and my brother, my brother didn't draw at all. <laughs> so the two of us were there. He would play video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would play all the arcade games that they had at the, at the restaurant and I would, uh, I would draw. What were you drawing? Do you remember? Like those very yeah, first sort uh, of doodles. Yeah. I, uh, I was a big fan of Mad Magazine mm-hmm. and, um, Mort Drucker yeah. especially. Mm-hmm. So I, I drew like Mort Drucker, uh, and I was a big fan of Bill Pete and, um, uh, his children's books. Mm-hmm. There was manga on the shelves cause it was a Japanese restaurant. Right. So they had, they had Shonen Jump and things like that. And so I would, um, you know, combine all those things plus Garfield yep. and Heathcliff. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I tried to do my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, started with a, a character called. Uh, it was a Harry. The, his name. His name was Harry. Is a porcupine, mm-hmm. and he had uh, three little alien roommates that like lived in these little flying saucers that sort of rotated around him, and uh, they would just annoy him mm-hmm. as he tries to watch TV. Mm-hmm. And it was just my. It was just my version of Garfield, yeah. but with like a sci-fi element. <laughs> That sounds like your that sounds like your next uh, next successful series right there. I mean, <laughs> no, no. I mean, come on, why why aren't we reading those? Yeah, we're not we're not reading Harry and the Freakos. <laughs> Harry and the Freakos. That's what it's called. Nice. Um, my first memory of drawing was when I was around nine or ten, 
you know, playing Legend of Zelda and the first Super Mario Brothers and even, and then like the second Super Mario Brothers and, uh, what was it? Link's Quest or whatever. Um, uh-huh. you know, the, the booklets that came with those, those cases, you know, the illustrations in those booklets were so amazing, especially the very first Legend of Zelda booklet. Those illustrations are, mm. are, are incredible. And, yeah. um, so just kind of copying those and drawing a bunch yeah, of different, yeah. different kinds of swords and shields and torches and, and you know, the, all the prop stuff was, was, was yeah, Nintendo, Nintendo power. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Did, did you subscribe to, um, what was it? What was the, it was a Nintendo gaming monthly. Was that what it was called? Or what was it? Uh, Nintendo, Nintendo, what was the, what came before Nintendo power? I don't remember. Who was what? Who was the guy? What was the guy's name in Nintendo Power? Ness Nestor. Nestor. Oh, Nestor. Yeah. 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 yeah I remember the Nestor cartoons. Yeah. yeah like um, um, Faxanadu was another one. Another Nintendo well, game yeah. I was playing. I remember there was an issue with like Blaster Master, and that was like the coolest one I think at mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Um, so I remember. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember. I remember all that stuff too. I, I love that stuff. Yeah. You. But when you went to. Uh, University of California, Santa Barbara, you said that you try, you're trying to quit drawing. Well, why, yeah. why was that? Yeah. I tried to quit drawing. Cause, uh, cause I felt like everyone's trying to use me <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid. I, yeah. I was like kind of a prodigy with this stuff in a way, because not really a prodigy. That's not the right word. I just started, started real early mm-hmm. and I just kept, I don't like to quit mm-hmm. things. So I just kept drawing and drawing and drawing, and I got to the point where I was I was in high school, and people were asking me to to get my stuff published, and I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want the attention. Mm-hmm. I didn't want. Uh, I did it. I, I I had it in my mind that I wasn't gonna. I didn't want to be a successful artist. Okay. That I wanted to do what my mom wanted me to do, which mm-hmm. was to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to have like a quiet, successful life. You know, um, and I didn't want to go through the trials and tribulations an artist goes through. It didn't it didn't occur to me that at the time that art was anything important. It wasn't right. it wasn't that important to me. It was just something that I could do. Yeah. And uh, I didn't. So I just, just kind of dismissed it in a sense. So mm-hmm. I partly partly I, I used to make comics that used to make fun of themselves all the time. You know, they were funny. Um, but, um, you know, there was this, it was like a reflection of a low self-esteem, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, um, you know, I, I was doing all this stuff and then people saw that I could do it and then everyone wanted to be my quote unquote mentor, um, in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was more like they wanted to become my agent, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they want to introduce me to this person and that person and right. see if I can get a job here or there. Mm-hmm. And then, it, you know, my mom started like, um, you know, allowing that to happen. Like mm-hmm. she would put me in classes and she'd say, yeah, you should go to this class. I go, mom, I don't think I need the class. She's like, just go do the class. And so we do the thing. And then I, the, the instructor would try to pitch me to publishers. <laughs> and I just thought, this Gee, is how old are you? Teen, teen like years? 15, 16. Jeez. Yeah, I got, I got work offers um, when I was 15, 16. Wow. And uh, I, because I, I used to draw really, um, really elaborate like superhero style stuff because mm-hmm. that's what everyone else is drawing so mm-hmm. i just gave it a shot yeah and so then i you know after that all that that circus was going on it, it really made me feel uncomfortable and so i just i, I kind of lied to my mom i just said i quit drawing i quit and she was crying i think she was crying she was really distraught because she feels she brought that on me because right. yeah. she wanted me to be a cartoon she wanted she wanted me to pursue the art she sure. she wanted to see me go she wanted to, me to succeed in any whatever however i wanted to you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. 
And I, I, I realized even at that point that I, in order for me to protect the art, I would have to tell people that I'm not doing it anymore. Right. And even so, so like in college, you did like Clive and Cabbage came out of that. Was that right around yeah, the same time? I just, yeah, I just needed a job. So I started working on uh, at the newspaper, yeah. you know, saw that they paid cartoonists to, to do stuff. So I was like, wow, well, if sure, then, you know, I, I, I also knew I needed to work on my skills because mm-hmm. uh, there, there, I, you know, I told people I quit, but that wasn't true. Right. I just knew that I also wasn't prepared for the platforms people were giving me. Mm-hmm. I, I needed to, I needed to get better. I needed time in the gym to like shoot my free throws and get my dribbling down, you know, yep. <laughs> you know, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, I need, I needed some time. So, um, the newspaper gave me that time because w- what it would do is give me a daily deadline. One of the things I knew I needed to work on was mm-hmm. being quicker mm-hmm. and faster mm-hmm. at what I did. I had to simplify the way I drew. I had to do it faster and doing a daily newspaper, you know, five or six illustrations a day sometimes, yep. uh, or full page illustrations where you're inking with Croquil and stuff. You, you, you learn really quickly to, you know, be economical with Some, the way you draw. Something tells me that you don't ink with with uh, quill pens, uh, you know, when you do like, amulet. No, I, yeah, I had to devise a new way of doing things because I knew I'd have to draw more than ever. Could you imagine? Uh, no, I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's that, it, in, in the end, uh, you know, there's, there's an, the ancillary benefit of using pencil is that it doesn't hurt the hand mm-hmm. on top of it being faster. Uh, the reason I actually ended up doing it, though, was an aesthetic. It was an aesthetic choice. Sure. Because I found that, um, you know, like uh, I, I thought back in Ubi Iwerks um, and what he did with xerography for Disney, mm-hmm. you know, yep. the xerographic process where he, you know, he would have uh, the, pen, you know, the, they would take the pencil drawings and then turn them, this, just Xerox them onto the cells, right? Uh, back when they did 101 Dalmatians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Oliver and Company, Robin Hood, Jungle Book. It's why they, everything looks hairy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking I, I didn't like that look, honestly, like as an, you know, from an animation standpoint, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't it wasn't my thing because I, I felt like you're kind of being invited too much into the process of doing it. So then the the effect is that this is the, a very constructed thing, mm-hmm. you know, that um, and so I, I wasn't I wasn't keen on it. But when I saw in comics, I, I, I thought, well. You know, in comics, um, the steady inked line looked to me more constructed. Right. It's put in stasis, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I always, like, when I do copper, I, I always try to, I, I want it to look like it's in stasis. I want it to look like a statue. Mm-hmm. But with Amulet, I wanted it to feel like it's moving. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to feel like, you could feel the wind, you could feel the frenetic pace of the action. And um, I found that, doing the inks in pencil gave me that that um that hairy line that sure. yeah. <laughs> that uh that xerographic line and it feels more uh you know fluid yeah and the answer your benefit was that it was better for my hand right back to college there you know everyone's believing and telling you essentially that you're you're going to draw comics professionally mm-hmm. but you said that the last person to really accept that was you yeah, <laughs> was that was that That's basically true. why? Were you or, or or was it more of a um, a confidence thing, or what was it? Uh, no, I disrespected the medium. That's what it came down to. I thought it was just as dumb as everyone else told me it was, and I loved it for being dumb because I was a punk rock kid. You know, I, I was not I was not the best student. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was at the Pizza Hut playing Mortal Kombat nice. while I should have been in geometry class, you know. <laughs> and the only reason I passed a lot of those times is because ever like I had friends who were big fans of my comics, mm-hmm. and they actually did my homework for me. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them would just do it. Wow. They would go, "Yeah, just keep drawing, man." Nice. And like I had teachers who protected me too. Like I had teachers who were like, uh, "Here, just they just gave me a passing grade." I had one uh, honor Spanish. I don't. I, I should. I should never have been in honor Spanish, but I was in an honor Spanish class. And my Spanish teacher, she was a huge fan of my cartoons. I didn't know about it. Found out later. But she would just, she and like another student, like she, they would just help me through the class. That's incredible. <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I actually didn't care if I got a passing grade or not. Right. You know, the funny thing is once I got into college, because I could choose what I wanted to study, mm-hmm. I, I think I graduated at the very top of my class. You know, I didn't care about grades at that point, and no one, I guess, you would, it wouldn't matter anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was the best student because I actually did learn the things I was looking to learn. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's, it's probably why, I mean, Amulet does well in schools these days. Um, I think a lot of the kids do find that they're not learning the things that they kind of feel innately they need to know. Mm-hmm. And I think they find it in Amulet, you know, right. and that's the, that's what I try to draw yeah. and write. You mentioned that something happened in the 1990s in comics that turned you off to comics. What what exactly was it? You know, I don't want to blame the image guys, but, you know, it kind of happened right around that time. The superstar comic artist thing that happened um, uh, when 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 the uh, the image creators started their own thing. Mm-hmm. I, I loved the fact that they did that at the time. I was like so into it. You know, I was super uh, I was super into the whole superstar comic artist at the time. And I bought. You know, I bought, uh, I, I have uh, like 10 copies of Spawn Number 1. If anybody needs a copy of Spawn Number 1, they can e- email me and <laughs> I probably have extra copies. Okay. No, I, I, I could wallpaper my room with it, you know. Uh, but then at the same time, I realized, wh- why am I doing this? Why am I buying comics like they're stocks? You know, and, and I realized, oh, they just want more of my money. Right. Felt like I was a kid that was getting my lunch money stolen from me. You know, because yeah. I didn't have much to spend, mm-hmm. but I spent all of it on my hero's works. And then I realized my heroes were just ripping me off. <laughs> and so I said to myself, if I'm going to make comics in the future, I'm not going to do what these guys did. I'm not going to rip off my readers. I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them everything. I'm going to give them my best, my right. absolute best or, or not at all. I'm mm-hmm. just not going to do it at all. You know, yeah. uh, it's one of the reasons why the covers for my books have to look just like the interior. Cause I don't, I always hated how, I'd pick up a comic book with because of the cover and I'd look on the inside and it was nothing like the, yeah. the cover. Yeah. I, I felt really there. deceived. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and that's not the case for most books, but there are books that where you have that and I don't like it. Yeah. So you, you cited understanding comics by Scott McCloud as well yeah. as the work of um, Osamu Tezuka as guides mm-hmm. that helped you find find that like comic path again um what was it what was it that mcleod said or tezuka did that like reignited the flame so i was just in the university um bookstore uh uc ucsb and there were they were selling textbooks there and you're supposed to go buy the books for your class right mm-hmm. and i saw copies of understanding comics in there so mm-hmm. i was like what <laughs> what what is this why is this here and so I, I bought one, you know, I probably, sh- I, somebody, somebody was missing one probably <laughs> in that <laughs> class, but I ended up picking one up and, uh, you know, took it home. I read it and it changed my life. I read it and I was like, now this, this is what I've been trying 
I was I've been trying to explain to people that these comics are important, but I just could never I could never do it. <laughs> so was that was you that know, the main lesson from from that was class? it? It was just like I said, you know what? You know, this book is is it's it's proof. It's this is like this is a this paper here <laughs> that that uh, that that this artist and writer has written is proof. It it, it does show you how valuable cartoons are right and in fact why are we you know why why do we why do we devalue it and after a while actually you know as as the years went on i kind of realized that the strength in comics one of the big strengths is that people de devalue it it because it, it, it gives it like a sense of um uh it's it, like you can trust it because it's because it's no one's going to take it seriously in some, in some sense. You know, you think that you think it's it's just like a not serious thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know that this is this is not a not a serious thing. So um, so people are more willing to engage with it in okay. a sense. It's disarming. You know, yeah, it has a disarming quality to it. Sure, but um, but yeah, with, with that, I, I thought, wow, this is a very practical thing. The cartoons aren't as dumb as I. I think everyone's telling me they are because yeah. I was just so used to everyone telling me how stupid I was um, because I'm a cartoonist. I mean, that's, I don't I'm sure there's going to be a lot of cartoonists who listen to this and nod sure. right now. Go, yep. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's crazy too because if you are a cartoonist, you know how hard it is. You know how much, you know, intellectual, uh, you know, um, muscle <laughs> it yep. takes to do this. And yet, you know, constantly the world tells you what you're doing is simple, it's dumb, mm -hmm. it's childish. silly, it's not, it's childish, it's mm -hmm. unimportant, you know. And it's, uh, it's, it was a great mystery for me for a long time, but I'm starting to believe that I think that people, I think it's almost like a filter, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think people believe that cartoons are actually really important underneath, like in their gut. So they they almost want to test you to see how dedicated you are to this type of thing, right? Yep. <laughs> because yeah. the, for the few that do make it, you know, and there's so very few, so very few that do this, uh, you know, through their entire lives, um, those people are like really propped up to become, you know, world leaders, <laughs> in a sense. Sure. You know, whether it's Charles Schultz or, you know, you know, it, just Walt Disney, uh, you know, they 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 end up having such huge influence over society and culture. Exactly. Yeah, and Tezuka, Tezuka is very much that that too. And of, cor so, of course, I of course I mispronounce it. I mispronounce every name. It's, Tezuka, it's, no, it's no, crazy. it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, Osama Tezuka, and uh, Tezuka, yeah, he, um, he uh, Tezuka, right? So, um, and he, uh, he's a doctor of comics. That's why. That's why it got me. And I knew Scott McCloud would point to Tezuka. Like constantly, mm -hmm. so that's that's really what brought me to uh, brought my attention to Samatezuka's work. I, I, and I checked it out, and I realized, oh yeah, he is a doctor of comics. This is a very serious mind. He was a doctor, mm -hmm. you know, prior to uh, he studied medicine anyway uh, through bugs. <laughs> He's, he was like an entomologist, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, he took like a physician's approach to comics. His comics were like uh, you know uh, prescriptions. That he was sending out to his society, to, mm -hmm. to the culture, to yeah. Japan, a, a culture in need of repair after the war, right. you know, yeah. trying to figure itself out again, mm -hmm. um, having gotten so lost, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so they really latched on to Astro Boy as like a symbol of hope for themselves. Yeah. You know, uh, as you know, that the, that the bomb was sort of like a, it was almost like a 
you know, it, it was just like them getting knocked in the, the, the teeth <laughs> um, by the nuclear age that has just arrived. Mm-hmm. And Astro Boy come, and Godzilla come out of those, you know, to become these heroes, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. of, 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 this, of this tragedy. You know, yeah. and 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 so they're you know these cultural icons are there to, to sort of um, you know help prop up um, prop up a culture, and I, I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful. I, I I think, you know, Disney did that to a certain extent here in the United States as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like Disney and Dr. Seuss <laughs> had big uh, like a big part in like war efforts. You know, for like right. World oh, War Two, for sure. Like that. Yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're, this stuff's important. Yeah, other influences. I, I well, again, while doing research uh, for this, I learned that uh, Hayao Miyazaki, Mobius. You mentioned Mark Drucker, mm-hmm. Jim Davis, of yeah. course. You know, yep. kind of a wide spectrum of influences there. And and uh, I, I want to so, throw one more in there because I you go probably didn't it. pick this one up. Um, Sean Carey. I don't know who that is. I'm, I know a lot of people don't. Um, uh, she she um, was uh, an artist for Cartoons magazine. Okay, and I picked up cartoons at um, at the at the grocery store alongside um, alongside Mad uh, and you know the manga that I was reading. Mm-hmm. I thought that I, I felt Sean Carey was probably one of the one of the, the best artists that that I, I had uh, that I had read at the time. And the way she drew cars was so. Like it was so incredible. I, I I thought she well she turned she animated the cars. Like the cars were so um, I don't know they they were unlike anybody else's works. Right. I, I, so I, I felt she was the best on the staff at cartoons. Okay. Um, and she also I think she also designed the social distortion logo. Hmm. Um, All right, yeah, well, so I'm gonna know. look her up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I uh, over on Instagram, I write about art hist- I write art history posts on illustrators, and um, with a with a focus on folks that we don't hear about in art school. You know, um, yeah. I'm definitely going to read about her. I recently wrote a piece about uh, Cecilia Bow, who was this uh, American painter around the late 1800s, early 1900s, and she was amazing i mean she had a 40 she had a very mm-hmm. uh influential successful 40-year career as a fine artist so much so that eleanor roosevelt you know commended her toward the end of her career mm-hmm. and um she was as good as uh sergeant uh but she was overshadowed by sergeant and overshadowed by mary cassatt um so very few people I don't know. I don't know. That's an unknowable yeah. thing to say. Very think... few people know who she is, but I, I didn't know who she was. And I and and to study up on her, I should have. She should have been mentioned in art history classes, but she wasn't. I think there needs to be, you know, there needs to be some good good advocates out there. Sure. Um, I, I think. I mean, artists to survive. All the fact that she was a woman too, probably at the time, you know, probably she probably didn't get the yeah. the opportunities and the exposure uh, that her male male counterparts were getting at that time so um it, yeah the support it's more of the support right? yeah i mean that's yeah. probably that's more important than than fame yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure uh speaking of mobius otherwise known as jean-henri gaston gerard um mm-hmm. or Giroux, i think um 
again, I'm my my superpower is I mispronounce everyone's name. I, I I'm, I'm that's why I haven't that's why I haven't said your name yet because I, I know I'm going to mispronounce oh, yeah. it. It's yeah, it's just Kazu Kazu Kibuichi. Yeah. <laughs> I know it is, but if I say it, it's gonna I'm just gonna uh-huh. say it wrong. Anyway, uh, it's just my power. Um, but in terms of Mobius, I thought it was interesting to read up on the fact that you were uh, uh, you did like his work. There's a really interesting connection between you two. Um, he too had his, his parents divorce when he was three. And I don't know how old you were when your parents divorced, but around that age probably, right? Well, I'll say this: when Mobius and I met, um, when when John when I met John, like it was like two kids <laughs> re, reuniting. Like, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to explain it. Right. It was so joyful. We had such a good time hanging out and talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I loved him. He was, yeah, it's, yeah. it's real. Um, one of the, what's awesome is that after ha- you know, you meet some of your heroes and, you know, sometimes they're not, you know, they can be not disappointing, but different than who you expect oh, them to be. Um, for sure, dude. you know, and then there are sometimes there, but, but I've had instances where you meet, I've met heroes mm-hmm. like. Jean Girard, and I I felt he was even he, he's now he's magnified so many more times in my mind because as a person he's even more impressive than as an artist and considering his art it's that's that's saying something <laughs> yeah yeah that's you know, true. I mean a, the love of life that he had yeah was really I don't know I wish I hope there are I've I, I've know some young people who are a lot like Mobius I actually I would I would consider my my friend and artist King Lee to be very much in the same mold mm-hmm. um you know he's he's just the love of life and understanding seeing things so clearly mm-hmm. and then being able to articulate it and and also just creating amazing work mm-hmm. um yeah there's there's very there are very few people like that yeah mm-hmm. I've had several of those experiences uh uh-huh. over the years in my my years in my previous life in publishing um <clears throat> I was talking to Corey Godby about Brian Froud and I worked with Brian Froud. I also worked with Corey Godby. I love Corey, by the way. Yeah, Corey's he, wonderful. He is wonderful. But um, anyway, we talked about Brian Froud and how my experience with him was was disappointing. But I think it was more on me than maybe Brian. And I'm sure Brian's a very nice guy. But that. But speaking of Corey, though, we were talking about the early part of his career. He brought up a conversation that he had with you in 2005, in which you said to him that he should feel free to send you his work. A couple years go by. And um, he said that he can trace a lot of the client opportunities. I think he called them branching paths, which is, is, of Mm -hmm. course, if you know Corey's work, it makes sense to that meeting. You know, he he can trace like Mm -hmm. a lot of what he's been doing and what he did to that chance meeting of just saying hi. And then you saying, yeah, send me your work. Um, The way he phrased it was your belief in him inspired him. And so... Do you, it was it, wow. is that the foundational intention of, of, of like your anthologies, like flight and explorer? It was it to, to like for Corey as well. And for others to tap into that community and boost comic creators. Yeah. Well, it was to shine a light on something I already saw was there. You know, right. these storytellers, the storytellers of the future, they're around us. They're amongst us. A lot of them don't have the confidence because they've been, They've been going through what we just talked about, you know, feeling like they're, they're, you know, being, being used. 
<laughs> right. You know, and that they, because a lot of people are intimidated by their skills, perhaps, you know, and so they'll diminish their stature and say, oh, no, no, you you know, you're, 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 you're not as good as this. You're not as good as, you know, you're not as good as you think you are. Yeah. And, and, and you hear that all the time and then it puts you in a box, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I've seen that time and time again, walking through the halls of DreamWorks and Disney and, uh, you know, I've, I've gone into every office everywhere in Burbank and, you know, mm-hmm. the, throughout the animation industry, I've been everywhere and, and I, and I see that, you know, countless times. And, um, at the, at the time I just thought, okay, it's time to start unlocking these doors and, and, and really, you know, showing people like what's here because they're going to need it. The world needs this type of stuff and they need these artists to be free. They need, you need them to be independent and to be able to do their own thing, mm-hmm. to hear their voice. Because if they, if they know they're the ones speaking, what's, what's on the page or what's on screen mm-hmm. is reflective of who they are. Um, it's going to, it's going to resonate in ways that things that are just manufactured do not, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I intentionally tried to bring new voices out there. I mean, we, I had so many big time creators trying to get on, am, uh, on, on, not Amulet, but on flight. And I, I actually, you know, kind of, I, I wasn't interested, you know, I wasn't interested in, in, you know, people who didn't need the help. Um, and so, you know, at the end, the, the problem was that, that, that also, you know, kind of ended the project in a way because I wasn't thinking about the business side of it. <laughs> I was really just trying to, trying to promote and mm-hmm. use it as a platform to promote new talent. But I mean, I think it, I think it's, it ended up being a really good loss leader for the entire comics industry. Cause if you actually go through flight, I think you'd see that it, it's basically this long list of people who are now some of the best selling talent sure. out there right now. Yeah. Um, it's not really, a, it's not, it's not a reflection of what I've done. I, I, I just, I just think it's a reflection of a recognition of, of that was, it was already occurring. These right. people were going to do this thing. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I brought those people together in a room. Yeah. We, the, a common theme in this podcast is, is, um, is validating choices that illustrators make and, mm. you know, the, especially mm-hmm. in, in comics, uh, and, and now in graphic novels too, but like, like we've been saying, you know, choosing to be a comic artist um you 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 do have that pushback from you know societal or even familial pushback where you know it's like well this is a worthless mm-hmm. endeavor go be yeah. something else go be an accountant or something um but that, <laughs> but flight and explorer validated so much of what they were choosing to do and had worked so hard to get to at that point and so anyway i just wanted to touch on those things because i think it's important <laughs> I, I wouldn't give the I wouldn't give my, those anthologies the credit of for for validation not necessarily because they weren't successful operations in some total in terms of like the for the publishers you know <laughs> well uh, I'm not worried about the publishers I'm I, worried as about a, the as a, as a yeah yeah no I know I know and me too right um, but I I feel like I have to take care of all parties and that includes the readers that includes the booksellers right. that includes the teachers and the librarians it includes you know, the artists, it includes the designers that are on the books. It includes everybody up and down the chain. If I don't, if I don't create something that succeeds for all parties, then I don't feel that it's been like a full success. And I, and I look at flight and explorer as like, I I feel they were premature. I I think that I had put something out there that, um, you know, it, it forecast a bit of a future that we'll see, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was, it was probably way too ahead of its time. Mm Mm-hmm. 
for it to process. And it, I just couldn't, I couldn't get it to fit on in the marketplace at that time. And so in, in that way, I, I see it as a noble failure. Um, yeah. and it's one that I've learned from and, and, and in the back of my mind, it's helped me pace things like Amulet or understand how people process these books a little bit better because right. I was, I was, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong uh, with those books. Well, I don't want to invalidate your feelings um, on this, of course, <laughs> and you obviously know more about this than I do, uh, being being the art director, editor, curator, facilitator, and all that. But I think there's something incredibly powerful uh, when an illustrator sees their work in print, in anything. Sure. It's that, that, that uh, experience is hard to describe. Well, it's time for them to do the books then. That's the thing. This is what I also wanted to do. I actually stopped doing the anthologies because I didn't want to give people a chance to alleviate some of that pressure and that stress of not having their work out there. Because in a way, Flight and and Explore did that a little bit. It took a little bit of the air out of their desire to get on the shelf. Okay. And so I think now it's time for people to do the full thing. They got to go and... I, all all the flight artists that I still talk to, I was talking to a friend just yesterday or maybe two days ago, um, who who did one of the greatest stories in our anthologies, and mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm encouraging him right now to do that book because this is just the right time to do it. Definitely. Um, the market is, I mean, it's never it's it's never been so open to graphic novels. You're right. In in history. Yep. This is the time for sure. Uh, speaking of graphic novels, here's the August 9th, two thousand and five announcement from Scholastic. Scholastic, the world's largest publisher and distributor of children's books, announced that it it has acquired Amulet, a two-book deal, one at auction, written by 27-year-old graphic novelist Kazu Kibuishi. What does it feel like when multiple publishers want to publish your work? I don't know. I had a very different viewpoint coming in. I, I felt like I had a job to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't come in looking for an opportunity. I was I have had opportunities. I had opportunities in other fields. Hmm. What I what I was um, what I wanted to make sure to do was that I I wanted to make sure that I had built a good foundation. Though that that was that was my biggest concern at the time is finding the right publisher, because that would determine whether or not we have a foundation. Right. You wanted to plant your seed in fertile ground, basically. Yeah, well, just a good, it's like a, a space in which I knew I could, yeah, yeah, I guess to grow, yeah. you know, and, um, and in the end, it, you know, I talked to, I talked to my, my agent, you know, uh, about it and the, the two, the two houses that were at auction with each other. I actually, I only knew one side of them, one side. Yeah. I actually didn't know Scholastic at all. Scholastic was the other in this situation. Mm-hmm. I, I was friends with the other editor that was trying to acquire this book. Uh, she was a friend of, of, uh, of my agent, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> and so we both had to, had to have a long discussion. Right. And we put emotions off, we took emotions off the table, you know, instead of doing it as a favor or to do something that was comfortable, we decided to do what we thought was the right thing. Sure. And the right thing at the time was we felt that Scholastic would be the best place um, for graphic for this type of graphic novel, mm-hmm. especially because I felt that what wasn't happening was there wasn't growth in comics. 
and growth requires new readers and new readers usually mean young readers and they were you know young readers were not invited into comics at the time you know there was such a focus on comics aren't for kids anymore but you know that was some of, that was an argument made in the 80s and people were carrying it over into the early 2000s mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to buck that trend and uh, i felt that scholastic was absolutely the best way to get into schools and libraries sure i mean their distribution is, is unparalleled so well yeah i just felt that uh, there, that was it was the it was just the clear choice at the time sure and so it was you know it was a hard discussion to have with um the other acquiring editor uh, she's done well and everything she 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 actually has said to us personally that we made the absolute right decision <laughs> mm-hmm. but it didn't it, it still makes her kind of upset that she didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah. I, I mean i don't i don't like having auctions honestly to to be fair uh i i don't like people i because like somebody's gonna lose yeah and um you know i i just uh, uh, these are advances as well you know and, and i i think of a book advance like people celebrate book advances i don't it's stressful um, you know well a book advance is a zero percent interest loan it's a no risk loan to you if you're a creator. You're not you're going to have you have to pay it back. So, you know, at some point you're going your book has to earn out mm-hmm. in order for you to make the you know, the real money in this. Mm-hmm. The real money is in the royalties. So, you know, you're just asking for upfront cash if you need it for something, that's fine. I only asked for a bigger advance for my on my book because I just I, I asked uh, Scholastic at one point to help me get out of having to pay rent. So that that was the only reason I asked them for a big advance once, um, and uh, and that and that's what we were able to do, you know, to wow. to get out of rent situation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. I, I see it a little bit differently, I guess. You know, I, I I so I don't celebrate big advances unless you know for sure that particular book is going to earn itself out. Yeah. Well, if I may, um, from from the other side, uh, when I was, mm-hmm. you know, I worked in publishing for twenty years, and I. Yeah. I, we would, you know, these, these large advances that sounds nice, mm-hmm. six figure advance sounds great. Five figure advance sounds great, mm-hmm. but you're right. I mean, if it's, let's say a two book deal gets a, you know, $50,000 advance mm-hmm. and, um, wow, that's wonderful. And it is, but if those books don't, like you said, earn out, then mm-hmm. there's a, a bit of a stigma Stigma might be too big of a word. It's too strong of a word, but there's a little bit of a stigma that these two books, oh, this yeah. publisher spent fifty thousand dollars on this on this product and did not get their full return, mm-hmm. and that sticks with the creator. So that at another mm-hmm. ac- acquisition meeting, they'll ask, "Oh, well, how did that? How did those other two books do? Oh, they didn't, didn't earn out." Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's this tiny. Speaking of seeds, like this little seed of maybe we're maybe we're putting money where we shouldn't, you know? And right. so, it, so it affects their decisions and it, you know, it's subtle. And I'm sure, I mean, it's, um, I'm sure what I'm talking about is a single digit percentage percentages of the time. And if I'm being optimistic about it, but <clears throat> that's what happens. So it's, so an advance isn't just like, here's a ton of money. Congratulations. Everything's wonderful. And it can, will continue to be wonderful for the rest of your life. It's, it is a little bit, it's a definitely a responsibility. And I, I heard that your first book sold only 300 copies <laughs> in that first week, yeah, is that? <laughs> but I, I think it, I think that was yeah technically true, um, but I, I think it's only because it wasn't really like released 
it was like kind of a slow release. Well, um, how, do you remember I, the first print I'm, run? I'm gonna, tech, the technical number was, yeah, it was 300 copies. <laughs> the that, that, first that, print run, I believe, is 50,000. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so 50,000 first print run for Amulet 1, and it only sold 300 copies. The first print run yes. sold 300 copies. The first, the, yeah, the first, like the, first, uh, the, the first report was like for 300 copies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> how the hell the, did number three happen then? I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously, uh, one, one and two well, picked up. Well, I had to, I had to help. I had to help with books three, four, and five. I'll say that okay. the contract, the contract for to, to I, I allowed, um, you know, Scholastic to. I mean, my agent and I had to allow them to mitigate risk. So I'll just say that the books, book, my book deals for three, four, and five were not as good as books one and two. Yeah, but I was committed. Um, I, I knew how how the whole thing worked. I, I also had to have, like paid for help on my book, so I have to. You know, I'm just I'm just glad if a publisher gives me anything on the advance just to help me, you know, pay for the cost of the book. Right. Like to for help Amulet Nine, I'm in the hole big time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's gonna have to earn out. Uh, it's gonna have to do quite a bit of business, uh, <laughs> you know, to pay pay me back because it's cost me so much money already. But it's all worth it. I know that it will be. Yeah. Um, and you have and every, um, was it is it Jason again? I'm gonna mis- mispronounce yeah. his name. Is yeah. it Kafo? Jason Kafo. Yeah, that, right. you got it. Yeah. Jason wow. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, actually people always get his name wrong. Actually, I think it's Kafo. I think Jason's my kryptonite. Um, there you go. There you but, go. Excellent. But yeah, I, I also wanted to make sure that on this book that everybody who worked on it, and that would that would currently be Jason, uh, along with me, would be Jason and and um, uh, Joey Hahn, who mm-hmm. is a really t- he's he's a superstar in the making. Is a really talented uh, illustrator from uh, Portland, Maine, and uh, he's helping us with the flats on the book. And I wanted to make sure that he got paid um, very well for flatting. Yeah. Um, and and that's I, I wanted to set a standard on a number of fronts. One yeah. one of those things was also uh, making sure that Jason and Joey aren't overworking themselves, because right. that's something that we we did regularly on the early books is that we all overworked ourselves, you know. I've slowed the pace. I've just said the pace is going to life is going to determine the pace of this particular book. So, um, and I'll I'll just listen to people yell at me all they want, but (laughs) you know, um, if they know what we're doing, if they knew what we were doing, then they would probably be quiet. Yeah. You can't just, it's not, I mean, I don't know, like just planning out a graphic novel isn't just drawing a bunch of rectangles and throwing some art in there. You have to like every page, every panel leads to another panel. Every page leads to another page. I mean, that is a three hour podcast conversation alone. Just how do you, how do you paginate a graphic novel, which we don't have time for. And it's not, and see, that's just one of the easy parts is just leading people through the page. Cause like what, what the hard part is what happens off the page is, is determining, you know, the cause and effect of like, if you put this sequence of images together in this page spread mm-hmm. it's going to communicate an idea in such a way that the reader and the viewer um, are able to create this world in their mind yeah you know one mm-hmm. full of ideas and different different story other storylines but also philosophical discussions that mm-hmm. will probably take place at the dinner table you know I, I think about that like every every page you know is, is an opportunity to do that yeah Amulet Prince of Elves, right after that one, which was number five, I think, mm-hmm. released, you were hospitalized and placed in a coma <laughs> yep. Yep. to combat bacterial meningitis. 
How close were you? How close were we to losing you? It was like something like a one in a hundred shot that I'd survive. I'm so, wait, let me let me just hear that. Like again. it was like it was like a one percent. <laughs> you had a one percent chance of surviving. Pretty much, I believe so. Yes, because it was that bad. Um, um, hydrocephalus was setting in. Um, it was pretty late in the game. I tried. This is a, It was. I I tried to go to the hospital. They thought I was. That I thought I had a ear infection. Sent me home. I said no. Something's wrong. I ended up walking in the walls. And then, you know, I, I just happened to go to this one hospital that was like a kind of a, a, a hospital, a small hospital that people didn't know much about. But because the ambulance drivers, they just, they had a sense about it. They, it was, they decided to go to this one particular hospital because I think they had dealt with this situation about a week before me. And that young lady died because they weren't fast enough. So I went to that hospital where they had already, they're dealing with the trauma of having lost a patient to the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. And they saw it and they didn't even take time to test. They didn't want to, they just knew. They just put me, they just said, we're putting him under right now. And um, we're just going to, we're going to put him in a coma and um, we're going to, you know, spinal tap and do this thing. And it was just, they, they said, they, you know, Amy just said they work really fast. And yeah, that's, um, and then I just basically had to fight it out <laughs> and apparently it was just hard to watch. I, I didn't see it cause I was in it. <laughs> uh, I just remember opening my eyes something like, um, like July 4th. I think I just saw fireworks kind of going off in the outside of the, inside of the window. Mm. I was like, what is that? What's going on? And that was like around the time I came to, it was a pretty intense experience. And when I found out what all the stuff that I had, had occurred it's a real miracle that i'm still here um <clears throat> i do remember like while i was in it i felt like i felt like i was dying <laughs> like i think i saw it <laughs> and i remember having a moment where i just thought you know because amy was eight months pregnant at the time seven or eight months pregnant she was like she was like a superhero was it first or handling second? all this stuff your first or she second was calling start my second you know okay. and my daughter and, um, and she was calming everybody else down. Everybody else was freaking out and she was the calm one. Everyone thought she was a doctor, um, <laughs> but she, she's just, she's just really resilient <laughs> Jeez. and very, you know, it's very resourceful. So she just said she's got to stay calm so that everyone else stays calm. Right. And she got through it. She, she had to calm down the nurses too. <laughs> um, and, oh um, yeah. And I, and I remember thinking, oh man, I haven't met my daughter. I, gotta see i gotta see her i gotta see my daughter <laughs> were these like your first and, like your initial initial like conscious conscious thoughts yeah it was weird um yeah that whole that whole experience was a really strange thing i felt like <clears throat> yeah i do remember it too i was that was kind of that's kind of the crazy thing it was a real trip uh you know whether it's the drugs that you get put right. on <laughs> or or it's the actual act of you know knowing you're dying um right. it was very peaceful i'll say that it's peaceful until i came back and it was just like it was just like you know it was really tough yeah. waking up i remember like that whole experience was just was just so um surreal i couldn't walk when i woke up i read that and um, you also lost yeah. your memory or parts of your memory yeah I, I just didn't remember anybody i i didn't know who my wife was i didn't know what was what was going on i don't know anybody <laughs> what do you, what year was this 2000 2012 12, okay yeah 
Wow. Yeah. So right around that time, well, let me back up for a quick second. Um, when uh-huh. your your mom, how old were you when your mom got into that car accident? I don't know, probably five or six. How how close were you from from losing her at that at that point? Was it that bad oh, of an accident? Yeah, yeah. It was it was like front page news. Um, our our Ford Country Squire station wagon was unrecognizable. <laughs> Uh, there's a hole, I think, in the this like barrier, in this wall that was like this big curve, and um, yeah, and, and you know, totaled like the station wagon is totaled. My mom was like just covered like head to toe <laughs> in bandages, casts and stuff. And stuff. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Um, I remember it was some yeah, uh, it was. <clears throat> I don't know. It was a. Uh, uh, it was a big growing up moment, I think, for my brother and me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So that's why that's that's what I write about. <laughs> uh God, how do you like segue that? from that, man? Um, but I'm gonna try. So David Saylor over at Scholastic asked you to reillustrate Harry Potter. Um, he asked you to create some samples. Now, my my question here is did they pay you for those samples? Yeah. They did. Yeah, got, okay. Yeah. Good for paid, them. Paid for this. Paid for two sets of samples actually. And um, the the first set of samples I did prior to going into the coma. So oh, I actually got okay. an I got an email from David when I finally got back into the office. One of the first things I read was, uh, "Congrats, we decided we'd like you to." do the Harry Potter thing. And oh. I had no idea what he was talking about. I actually had to ask my assistant, like, what is this Harry Potter thing? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, um, Hey, you know, Hey Kaz, like where, where are the, where are the revised sketches? Like I asked you, you know, three months ago. Where are <laughs> yeah, no, I had no idea that I had done it. And so I had to review what I had done for them. And I was like, Oh, I did this. Uh, and they said, we like this one of the, the set of sketches you, you made. Can you, and it was the, the cover for um, Prisoner of Azkaban. They mm-hmm. said, we love this. Can you do all of them like this? And I said, sure. And so I did a set of uh, roughs for that and they loved that. So he said, you got the job. So it was perfect timing because I really couldn't work on my book. Right. Couldn't remember the characters, you know, or the no, storylines. I, I still have a hard time writing that's one of the things that slowed me down a bit. Um, I, I could used to I used to be able to just rely on really strong memory, like too much. It was like my memory was so strong that it it made people nervous. <laughs> like I had photographic memory about every event that we would have. Like with if if you said something to me, <laughs> it, like you know twenty mm-hmm. years ago, I'll be like, hey, remember that time when I <laughs> and nobody else would remember it. Yeah. But now it's gone. That that part of my brain <laughs> has been completely erased. So like now, you know, my wife says I'm nicer. People are less intimidated by me because okay. I just seem like a normal person. <laughs> but it also means I that means my, I'm so much slower at writing. I, I have to take copious notes because I'll I'll forget about five minutes after I write it. Oh wow! So it's still mm-hmm. it's still you're still living like, with the it's ramifications. Yeah, it's like. It's like before you have a chalkboard to write things on, but now it's sand and there's like waves that keep coming up. <laughs> That's mm. what it feels like. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, at least I'm alive. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be here, so I'll, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Um, you said that working on Harry Potter helped you recover some of that memory. Yeah. Um, 
I'm sure I'm not the first person to immediately think that working on Harry Potter was literally a kind of memory charm for you. Um, <laughs> I guess. I mean, it was kind of it was weird that it it timed out like that. You know, that sure. a project like that could, you know, uh, you know, and, and maybe maybe it's just it's really because David's always there to sort of help and guide me sure. and oh. he's the one who brought the project to me so it's you know i think we could just just say david <laughs> did all this you know yeah um, and he knows how to he knows how to help me when i when i'm in need did you talk to mary grand Prey at all i didn't i didn't talk to mary grand Prey. i didn't talk to joanne rowling um and so you know i, I mean I, I owe so much to david I, he's he's my dumbledore <laughs> so um and, and i put both of us on the box by the way, we we're both working at Zonko's. Um, I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm I'm stocking boxes, and he's at the cash register. He's my boss. All right, we're gonna uh, look, we're gonna look at that later. You, you could check it out. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Um, I suspect this. I suspect the reception was positive, but um, did you receive any pushback from fans? No, the biggest pushback I think they ever got was from me because I was like, "Why are you doing this?" <laughs> No, there was no pushback whatsoever. It was uh, almost entirely positive. The entire experience was positive all the way, all the way through. Yeah. And Scholastic handled it in such an amazing way. And I got to know more people. Like I, I'm in the graphics, you know, uh, division, right? So we were kind of like the new kids, you know. And so I, I felt like I was in kind of the new kid camp. And um, I, I wasn't. I didn't know too many of the other people in Scholastic. And so this project helped me branch out because I got to go and visit other departments and hang out with other people and make new friends and um, and just seeing how wonderful it is across the board. Right. Um, I, I had a great time, you know, being able to do that. I felt like I I got to be closer with my family there, mm -hmm. you know, because of it. Yeah, I got you. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've I've looked at pages of Amulet just to get a sense of how you do compose your pages and just, uh, you know, my son is a huge fan of yours. So of course I'm going to look through them and see what's what. Um, but I'm going to be completely honest here and say that I have not read a single page of Amulet. Oh, sweet. However, good. <laughs> I like, no, I like, I like hearing when, when somebody hasn't read it, that's a potential reader. There you go. But, so, um, however, <laughs> my son has read them. And he's uh -huh. going to take us out. He has a few questions to ask you. Okay. All right. Here we go. Hi. Hey. How you doing? Uh, good. I'm a really big fan. Awesome. And it's one of my favorite books. And I have a few questions regarding the book. Um, first, the main character, Emily, she could have just packed up shop and went home and forgotten That's all right. about that other life. Why didn't she? I th think that that question might be answered in this lightest book in a way i mean because there she had that vision right oh yeah she had the, do you remember Amulet yeah 3? the vision of the shadows destroying her world yeah or just her world getting blown up yeah <laughs> so i think she she suspected that if she were to go back that would happen yeah uh my second question is so she turned around. Yeah. Also, we got we got to go on the adventure too. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a, we want to keep the adventure going a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. My second question is, what is the entity, the shadow in the stone, that's corrupting her? That's another question, right? That's a that. See, I you're asking all the questions that uh, you're, you you lead into Amulet Nine with, 
So um, I'll prob. I don't know if if I don't know if you'll get the full answer, but you'll get quite a lot of information in number nine. Well, I think I I think I'm pretty sure I know what it is. It's you. This actually leads into my third question. Um, what you think you know? I don't know. It's pretty complex. But I think I, do have I know. A, I do have an answer. Okay. I think it's like because I read the book. I remember it. In the book, it says that the shadows come from another world in that other universe. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm pretty sure it's just aliens. My third mm. question. My third question is. Um, why does the entity care so much about Emily? Why does he want her to convert to his side? Pull to its side? That's a good question. That's one I have to think about. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I have one more question just that I just yeah. thought of. I'm not okay. sure if my dad asked this already, but um, what made you, like, how did you think of Amulet to start the Amulet books? Um, I, I read Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind. And I wanted to do something like it. I read Bone by Jeff Smith. So Hayao Miyazaki and Jeff Smith, they, they did it. And I wanted to climb my own mountain. I actually didn't think Amulet was going to be that one. I thought Amulet was my practice run before I did the big book that I would do. And maybe it is. Maybe It, it, it still could be because I have another series in mind that's bigger and, and, and I think better than Amulet that I haven't been able to do since I've been working on Amulet. Um, but... Um, yeah, it was really those two books um, that made me want to to do something like it. And it, I didn't think it was going to be a job. So I, I get asked about job questions all the time. I honestly would have been fine doing another job and then doing this somehow, like just somehow in my free time. <laughs> um, and that's what I expected to do. But it actually turned into my job, which I'm glad I'm glad to be able to do that because I could do it faster. My final question would be, um, if you have any advice for anyone making comic books out there uh what would that be yeah uh the advice i always give is uh is is you just gotta you just gotta get the let out so you gotta just do stuff you know and you gotta fail a lot so find ways to fail like safely so where you know where you can practice you know it's like if you're playing basketball you gotta find a gym to just shoot you know you have to shoot you have to dribble and the same thing with making a graphic novel. You gotta you gotta draw. So that's one of the elements that you're gonna have to do well. So you gotta draw really well. So you gotta draw a lot. Just just speed it up. Speed is more important than technique. Okay? Be fast. All right. And so when you're writing, do the same thing. Be really fast. Find ways to write a lot. That could just be writing emails to your friends. You know, it could just be constantly writing, uh, doing blog posts, doing anything like that. Make fiction. Just write and share with your friends. You do a combination of those two things, and it, it'll just sort of lead into doing this. Um, it, it, there's no substitute for the practice. So cool. that's really that's really what I'll, I'll, I'll say. And, and really, you're not going to be good until later. So you have to stick with it even when, especially when things are bad. You have to fail upwards. You just have to. You have, yeah, you, and you'll fail less over time. You'll fail in different ways, in different things, okay? As you get higher, the failures will be bigger too. The successes will be bigger, but so will the failures, okay? Just roll through it. To learn more about Kazoo, visit BoltCityProductions.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, 
a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our new forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.